So a final experiment that I want to mention to you is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, this became a very famous study and there's now many more because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys and I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs and with birds and with chimpanzees. Um, with, but with Sarah Brosnan, we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water in my opinion, but cucumber <laughs> is perfectly fine for them. Now, if you give the partner grapes, the food preferences of my capuchin monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently, we videotaped it with new monkeys who had never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction, and that turned out to be right. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. So confession time, I may have more in common with fashion time. I may have more in common with that monkey than I care to admit. Apparently, and I don't remember this, but apparently my mom tells a story that I used to count the Christmas presents under the tree. And my brother and I, if he got more boxes than me, I would blow a gasket. I was perfectly content that what I was getting was enough until I realized he was getting something else or something what I perceived to be more. Uh, remember, I'm a kid. I'm not thinking about how much money was spent. I'm thinking a number of boxes. That's all I'm thinking about, right? But apparently, if I thought he had more, even for a brief moment, I would absolutely blow a gasket. I do take some solace in the fact that that just isn't a Rob problem or a monkey problem. Uh, but that this is a human problem. Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapter 20 with the parable of the vine vineyard owner and some workers who are content with the money they got, they agreed to, but they realize somebody else worked way less time and got paid the same. And suddenly what was enough isn't enough anymore. I think that allure of, of something we don't have being essential, right? That, that as though we don't have enough already is what really caused the fall in the Garden of Eden, right? If you think about this, Adam and Eve had 
well, darn near paradise, right? So they had eternal life. They had all the food they could ever want. They never hungered. They got to walk with God every day. They didn't get bit by mosquitoes. Well, that last one I'm not sure of, but I have a I have a strong sense that mosquitoes and poison ivy and stuff, those are things that came with the fall. I mean, they have to have been, right? Again, no scriptural support, just Rob's opinion. But they had all of this, but Satan, the snake, comes along and says, hey, the serpent comes along and says, hey, I know you think you've got it good here, but the truth is, there's something else. There's something else that you really need, right? And if you'll just disobey God, God's lying to you. Just disobey him and you will have the knowledge of good and evil. And here's the thing that they think they need. And you will be like God. He's offering them the allure of something they don't already have and saying, this would absolutely be better. And so what was clearly more than enough suddenly becomes not. This concept of being jealous of what others have and it taking your eyes off the ball is something that has plagued mankind, again, since Genesis, since the very beginning. It, it's such a big deal that God included it in one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's the tenth of the Ten Commandments. Do not covet. Do not be jealous of what others have, right? It says, do not cover your neighbor's house, do not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And the implication there at the end of those 10 commandments is because God, you have God, you have a relationship with him, you have his protection, you have a connection to him and you have eternity promised with him. He's enough. He has always been enough. Why are you staring at the things that other people have, these earthly things that will all fall away when I'm here and have been here the whole time? I have always been enough, and I will always be enough. That's the challenge that the people in the book of Hebrews really have been having kind of all along. It kind of undergirds the entire book. This idea that Christ isn't enough, that he's not sufficient is something that they are challenged with. First, in, in, we talked about the idea of adding back in some of the, the sacrificial rituals and, the, and the, the laws and the expectations as though the Messiah coming and dying for your sins and saving you wasn't enough. You needed these things as well. The truth is, though, these things are absolutely unessential and in some ways can pull us off the path that God wants us to be on. It can take us away from God. And that's the challenge that he addresses here. The author of Hebrews addresses here in Hebrews chapter 13 as we finish up the book. Again, if you haven't been reading along, I encourage you to. You're missing out. We can't possibly cover everything in, in a six-week sermon series. The book of Hebrews will bless you. But in Hebrews chapter 13, he's talking about the sufficiency Summing up his argument regarding the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that he is enough, that there is nothing else that's worth chasing down that will lure you away from him. And he finishes by challenging him, saying, this isn't just enough for your eternity. This is also enough for your life, day in and day out. Because the truth is, Satan's tactics, 
haven't changed much because we haven't changed much. But neither has the truth. And neither has God. So let's read along. We're going to read along in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read out of the CSB. Uh, it says, let brotherly, love, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were, you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed to be kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Chuck Swindoll kind of, Chuck Swindoll kind of points out, and I love it, that the book of Hebrews kind of ends with a discussion on three very important topics, faith, hope, and love, right? If you remember back to chapter 11, as, as he held up the, the hall of fame of God's people, if you would, those who lived by faith, a faith that was more than just believing, it was acting it out, living it out faithfully, trusting in God's provision, and walking with him in the direction on the mission that he wanted them on. And it's what, that is what's credited to them as righteousness, right? It's not being perfect, it's being faithful. And then in chapter 12, he moves towards hope and reminds the people of God to keep their eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is our hope. He is our leader, and he will take us to the promised land, right? That's the implication there. He will get us where we need to go. He is the source of your hope. There are no other sources of hope. And he kind of ends this chapter, or this book, and this chapter with a discussion on love. Let love continue. And if you've read anything by Paul, he would say there are three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, because it is the one thing that even after faith and hope are no longer needed, after you are sitting with the Lord, faith and hope aren't needed anymore because you're there. You're living out your hope. You don't need faith, which is the, the belief in things that I've not yet seen, because you're seeing it. And so love is that one thing that will endure forever. God's love always has. And as it says here in verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He has always loved and will always love. But he talks about so many different ways to love, things we need to love and something we don't need to love. He talks about brotherly love, the idea of loving other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, this, this devoted family that we have put together or that God has put together and we just get blessed to be a part of, right? He talks about loving strangers and, and says, goes so far as to say, you might even entertain an angel along the way. You just don't know. That's how important hospitality is. He talks about loving prisoners, those who are being, in this case, probably being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. But it could be prisoners in their sin as well. He talks about loving our spouse so much so that we remain committed to them, that we would never defile the marriage bed, he says. 
He also tells us, don't love money. That's a bad plan. And I think that's because at, at our core, sometimes we can get to the place where we believe that is our avenue to get all of those other things we think we need. And in loving money, suddenly what was enough in our lives, provision, becomes not enough. We start to serve two gods instead of the one true God. He tells us to love our leaders, and he tells us ultimately to love Jesus Christ, who has always been the same. He has always been here. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. If we were to read the rest of the chapter, he would go on and encourage us to love God. He would encourage us to love prayer, and he would encourage us to love all of the saints. The picture there is of this encompassing love, one that does not lead us to ask if we should love, but instead, how can we love? Just as Jesus has always loved humanity. Jesus didn't say, should I love them enough to die on the cross? He just said, how can I love them and how can I save them? He was probably focused on the right things. So something, we've already discussed it, gets in the way. Uh, you could call it jealousy. You could call it coveting. Um, these days there's a term out there, it's FOMO. <laughs> fear of missing out it's that you know what that is it's that that seed of discontentment when enough is no longer enough like the the vineyard workers right we were getting paid enough and now suddenly we're not i wonder um how do our budgets how do our budgets always seem to constantly grow to fit our income right it seems like as we go through life if you if you're blessed enough to make more money as you go how you don't have a whole lot left when it's over. It's an interesting to me um, that we can be not content with what we had before. Money has a way of doing that. FOMO is also this, this specter of unfairness, the idea that the world somehow owes us something. I thought that with Christmas presents. Advertisers use it all the time. McDonald's has been saying, you deserve a break today forever. Right? And if I had a nickel for every time I've seen you deserve a break today, you deserve a new house, you deserve a new car, you deserve liposuction and think I'm wrong, I'm not. <laughs> you deserve, that word is everywhere. And it's all designed to convince us that there are things out there in the ether in life that we are owed when really we are not. And we are somehow afraid we are missing out on something that is rightfully ours when nothing could be further from the truth. Is this FOMO is the allure that one that there's there's that one thing out there that will make us whole, right? In the garden, the snake leveraged that to say, there's this one more thing you need and you can be like God and convinced Adam and Eve to cheat on God. With the Hebrews, they're talking about cheating on your significant others the allure of something else out there that somehow makes what is enough suddenly not enough. It's jealousy. It's coveting. It's FOMO. Pick your word, but it's still a lie. This fear of missing out on something we think to be, falsely think to be essential to our lives can tear us apart. It keeps us from making the commit making and keeping commitments to God and to those that we love because, you know, you never can tell something better might come around the corner. 
It pulls our eyes off of Jesus. We're not able to keep our eyes on the hope that is Jesus Christ. And it puts it onto the stuff. Other stuff is the source of our hope and the source of our joy. It robs us of peace that comes with salvation. There should be a peace that comes, an enduring, never-ending peace that comes with salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing that we're set. For all of eternity, we are good. And we buy into this lie that Jesus' presence can't satisfy our souls in the moment, is that we need something else. We need a higher paying job. We need a bigger house. We need a different spouse. We need a new car. We need... There's all kinds of ways we can convince ourselves that Jesus is not enough. And in doing so, we are robbed of our peace that he promises, the peace that surpasses understanding. And it limits, and this is the the crux of the message here in Hebrews, it limits our capacity to show love because our hearts are set on pleasing ourselves rather rather than on reflecting the love we have received from God through Jesus Christ. Hence the call in verse five, where he says, be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Don't look to what other people have because you have me. Be satisfied with the presence of Christ. And the thing is, when we find a way to be satisfied with the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. We're able to see our brothers and sisters as God does. And we're able to to reach out to them in need. We're able to joyfully make time to show hospitality to strangers. And yes, maybe even angels unknowingly. We find we, we have the ability to empathize with those who are mistreated or suffering and imprisoned and, and physically or in the bonds of sin rather than worrying about what we don't have or what they might, they, whoever they are, might take away. We're able to see the tragedy and the difficulties that they're dealing with and empathize with that. We're able to embrace and fully appreciate the relationships God has blessed us with. Your wives, your children, your best friends, those people that he has put into your life that you can have a connection to. Don't buy the lie that it's not enough. God has provided you with more than you could ever need. If you're willing to see it, I struggle with it too. I don't always see the blessings that God has given given me. And if I'm not careful, I can find myself coveting or FOMOing or jealous Seeing the presence of Christ is enough allows us to trade. It allows us to trade the chaos of this world for the peace that surpasses understanding. That is what the author of Hebrews is trying to get his people to see. So how how do we do that? I'm going to give you three ways. I'm sure there's more to this, but I'm going to give you three ways that I think you can help teach yourself to be satisfied with what you have. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what you have is everything. You have salvation. You have a love that will never end. You have a faith that cannot be broken and a hope that is beyond anything anybody else in this world could have. But how do we cultivate that? How do we get past the monkey in us, right? Don't go crazy with evolution stuff. It's just an analogy. (laughs) How can we get past these things that take us away that God felt was so important that he listed it 
in one of the Ten Commandments. The first is to practice gratitude. Uh, that, gr that great 80s band Cinderella said, you, has a song that says, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And Adam and Eve certainly figured that out the hard way. But it's, it's a call to remember that we should be grateful for what we do have. The vast majority of us have food, clothing, shelter, transportation, communication, medical care. We've got access to all of these things. And as much as we'd like to think that those are somehow owed to us or they are our right, the thing is none of them are. None of them are owed to us by this world or by this nation. They are gifts. They are things we should be grateful for having. But when we have them long enough, we begin to take them for granted and we look right past them. We should practice gratitude for the deep relationships we have with our spouse. If you're lucky, to, lucky enough to find a significant other that you can be as my wife says, sometimes mutually crazy with, because you're both crazy throughout your entire life, you're blessed. There's no sense in looking at somebody else's wife and going, what about that? Or what about this house? Or what about this car? Practice being grateful for the health that you have. Anybody who's lost their health would say, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Practice being grateful for your family and practice being grateful, maintaining gratitude for salvation in Jesus Christ. Because yes, that, even that, we can begin to become less grateful for as the days go on. Cultivating a gratitude for our blessings keeps us from coveting the blessings of others. Second thing is be careful what lives in your head rent-free. Um, if you... Uh, are a musician at all or into music at all, um, you can find songs getting stuck in your head and staying there, right? They just pop up out of nowhere and you find yourself humming some song. It's living in your brain rent-free. It's there, right? It's taking up residence. That's all well and good with a song for the most part. There's a few I'd stay away from, but for all well and good, it's a song. But what about those thoughts or those pursuits, those ungodly things that we have a tendency to hyper-focus on rather than the things of God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, if, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Don't spend too much time dwelling on your next accomplishment that will get you the thing that you want that you don't have yet. Don't spend energy dwelling on whether or not you're going to get a newer vehicle or a nicer house or a better job. Again, things we don't have rather than the love of Christ that we do have. And the third one is let Jesus be your strength. He says it right here in Hebrews 13, verse 6. He says, Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? There are so many things, limbs we're not willing to step out on because, quite frankly, we're afraid we're going to lose something along the way. Letting the Lord be your strength. Maybe, maybe you've been reticent to practice hospitality. And, and so you don't invite people into your home. You don't say hi to people as you walk by them on the street. You don't invite them to cup coffee. You don't engage with them and remind them that they are loved and cared for because you don't know what you're going to ask. Your house is a mess and you don't know what you would do if you got them there. 
But if you're trusting that God will carry you, that he will be your strength that carries you through, right? That's faith. You might be surprised because a funny thing happens when we allow ourselves to be carried by Jesus. We get a glimpse of how mighty he can be. And I guess I have four things. The fourth thing is seek opportunities to serve those who have less because Jesus did the same for you and I. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been sufficient. He's the only thing that truly is, both now in your daily life and forever. And our job as believers, our honor as believers, is to live with that hope, to recognize we have everything we need because he is always with us. He will never leave us or abandon us. He promises that, us that, and the rest of the world needs to hear that. Because we've got it all. Do we really need to be looking for everything else too? Because it's not worth as much. Just saying. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you God bless.